Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Venerable. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We are your complete cards coverage. My name is Blake Murphy on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. And I'm joined uh, as back to normal with my regular co-host, the venerable Johnny Venerable. John, we got some Arizona Cardinals football to talk about because there's always some football to talk about. We are technically in peak off-season mode right now. Uh, there's minicamp is wrapped up. You've got OTAs is wrapped up. The next big thing that goes on is going to be training camp. Uh, Before we get into training camp, at least, as far as for maybe a little bit of preview of that, and then talking a bit more about uh, just some of the things we've learned in this offseason about the Cardinals in general, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, man. It's it's good to be back kind of in the swing of things. You know, we're here in early July. Not a ton of news. Uh, You and I haven't had a chance to connect on air uh, about a, a number of Cardinal topics, and we'll cover the scope of them today, but just anxiously awaiting the start of training camp, uh, a pivotal season for the Arizona Cardinals. Goodness, you know, it's July. We would have thought maybe we'll get a kind time signing of some kind in June. Didn't really happen. So I think, you know, upwards of the next two or three weeks, you know, maybe some names to watch, certainly some positions to watch for the Cardinals to approve upon. But Blake, why don't we start with uh, HBO's selection of not the Arizona Cardinals for Hard Knocks. The Arizona Cardinals, as we've talked about, John, they seem to have just never gotten the credit that they deserve in terms of being able to um, be a team that it seems like the national source would want to watch, which is unfortunate as far as for those of us who like the team would love to have seen them get hard knocks. Instead, it goes to the Dallas Cowboys, who recently did get the All or Nothing series on Amazon as well in 2016, I believe, just uh, a year or so after the Cardinals. Uh, maybe it was two years, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, is this something that really is... Not surprising to me when you consider that the Broncos, a beloved team, beloved fan base that does have a title or two from their time with John Elway. You're talking also about the Panthers, a team that was probably what I thought would have been the pick with a a new younger head coach. You've got the addition of Sam Darnold. You've got all of these different offensive weapons, Joe Brady coming 
at the college level, maybe gets a head coaching job at next year. It seemed very much like if there was going to be an opportunity for the Cardinals to be on hard knocks, to be able to preview J.J. Watt, to see DeAndre Hopkins, the Kyler Murray intrigue, seeing Cliff Kingsbury coming out of college, it would have been this year. So the fact that the Cowboys are picked, John, part of that makes me think that I don't know if the Cardinals necessarily wanted the attention in what could be a pivotal year. Uh, we talked about with Bruce Arians back in the day where he was basically just f- said he'd be furious if the had to have cameras prying around in the background, you know, with the idea of having a live camera cutting a player, at least in training camp. We've seen that before on Hard Knocks. He just didn't want them to be up in his business. It would not shock me if the secret of Cliff Kingsbury, a guy who, you know, we've seen be essentially as guarded as possible when it comes to the Cardinals, didn't want to have the same thing there. And we all know with Jerry and the Cowboys, they really just want the attention. And also they feel like they've got a championship caliber team. We, at least on offense, I think they do, John. What are some of your thoughts as far as what is it going to take for the Cardinals to get into some of the limelight on more of a national scale. Yeah, you know, I wrote an article today, uh, we're recording this on Friday, for VengeOfTheBirds.com pertaining to this, um, and it's really kind of a twofold. I think it's it's good that they didn't get selected. I know, like, for, of course, our show, our content that we put out, it would have provided a lot of that information, um, but typically we get a lot out of training camp anyway. Um I also think, listen, with where this team is situated this year, they don't necessarily need and wouldn't benefit from the circus that comes with this HBO program. Uh, would it be fun? Of course. But, you know, I made a point to, to lay out that, again, do we want a camera crew, an interview crew, crew highlighting, you know, Kyler Murray's commitment to football? Could he play baseball? I mean, I don't necessarily want to deal with that, you know, as they're getting ready for the season. I don't want to talk about Xavier Collins' June arrest and how, you know, that was a a disappointing situation. I don't want another tour of Cliff Kingsbury's Paradise Valley Mansion. Like, I I would prefer to keep it because there's so much, you know, riding on this season pertaining to the Cardinals. I would rather keep it football related. Um, So that's why I'm I'm totally okay with this. Um, Now, for those of you who, who would argue that, well, the Cardinals have a better roster than Dallas. They should be selected. I don't... I don't disagree that they are a better team than the Dallas Cowboys. Um, but I also, I think it's foolish to ignore the fact that, I mean, the Cowboys are a top five brand in all of sports, not just football, but all of all of pro sports. It could even be number one. Um, the Cardinals, and I pulled up an article from Forbes last year, are the 27th ranked NFL franchise in terms of, of total net worth. How much, if, if they were on the market, and it was $2.2 billion, and I, I think they would go for, for more, but just like they're in the bottom tier, the bottom third in the NFL in terms of, of franchise worth. Of course, they've never won a Super Bowl, but it, it goes beyond that, right? Like, you know, the fan base, fair or not, is routinely seen selling off their tickets, right? We've got a lot of visiting fans during our home games. Uh, the Cardinal Twitter account, as compared to even now the Phoenix Suns, who were in the NBA Finals, the Cardinals Twitter doesn't have a million followers. The, the Suns have 1.3 million. The Cowboys have nearly 4 million followers on Twitter. So I just, it's not the end all be all. The Cardinals will benefit from, from, I believe, not having to deal with this. And for those people that are in our mention saying, well, they did it in 2015 with all or nothing. That was a great look inside, you know, the Cardinal, you know, infrastructure at that time. And I would agree with you. That was, that was a tremendous uh, season long documentary, but 
to be able to have that and be a success and not have it be a distraction during that 2015 season, you needed Bruce Arians. They don't have Bruce Arians. They don't have that proven leader, that culture setter that they had, right? What they've got are a lot of question marks, a lot of folks under increased scrutiny. And right now, that hard knocks is not going to help the Cardinals establish a winning football culture. Um, and it just, to me, it just doesn't feel like the right time to implement something like this. And, you know, I get it. If they, if they make the playoffs, they won't be eligible next year. I just think that they have their sights set on bigger things and don't necessarily need hard knocks right now. The Arizona Cardinals brand, and I think it's great that you're bringing up the Suns. I wanted to transition to that, make that kind of the main topic of today's show. Um, but before we get into all of that, I do think that it is important, like you said, is that it does ultimately come down to winning. That you know, you look at the Seattle Seahawks franchise before Russell Wilson arrives. You see them now. You see even the Patriots. You know, they had a few great years of Drew Bledsoe, some other great years. They then became this incredible dynasty that every sports franchise looked looks to and i think that it, the suns being one of if not the winningest if i remember correctly they're the winningest sports franchise that does not have a title they've have a long history you go back to the days of connie hawkins paul westfall move a bit forward to you know the marley era the barkley era kevin johnson uh, even ac green i believe is a player for years and then you have the steve nash and stoudemire era now you're starting to see a bit of a resurgence for them and uh, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, even with this era where they're in the finals. And that's something I think, at least, that Arizona sports fans, you know, we've followed uh, these teams. There's people who are fans of both ties. Uh, obviously, this is a football podcast. So I want to get into a few of the lessons that I think we've seen from the Suns. There's an article I published on it a bit back. But before we do, let's kind of put some of the Zayvon Collins stuff to rest because I've seen takes all up and down on this. I, he was uh, apparently arrested, took pictures of it. A vehicle, at least, was towed. He was going 76 miles an hour in a 35 lane in Scottsdale. And what's interesting is, obviously, this is, you know, part of the local area of Phoenix is, uh, and I've been a victim of these, too. There are speed traps that you can have that are set around in different places where speed limit changes, where some point you're going, you know, maybe 10 miles over the speed limit, sign changes. Suddenly now you're going 20 miles and over, over the speed limit. People are just lying in wait. It's just one of the aspects that you have in life uh, that you have to be aware of. Uh, Zaven also at this point, he's going like, you know, 40 or so over the speed limits. He's already going too fast down the stretch. Uh, one of those things that people said, yeah, that speed isn't excusable, despite the fact that, hey, and I drove by that intersection for years. I know that's a speed trap. Um, I think that I've seen some people who've completely like shrugged it off, said as no big deal whatsoever. You know, is it's just that's the way it is for that one. And then there's others I've seen who are basically saying like, hey, you should cut them, take this out. I even wondered like, hey, like we don't know some of the context going on. Is this a spot where you know, gets his first big check is on a bit of a joyride for the most part. Uh, maybe you want to try to, you know, not quite give a guy a starting job right off of the bat. Is that something, John, that you think is the case? Because I've seen two extremes to either of these. And I think the answer you and I have said is probably somewhere in the middle where you make a note of the concern, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a long-term concern so long as the player essentially is able to, you know, own up to the mistake, be able to learn from it, and then ultimately be able to perform on and off the field at a high level. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It, it is somewhere in the middle. And, and listen, I, I got a lot of pushback on on Twitter when it happened because I I was disappointed in a lot of folks that were dismissing it as if it were a parking ticket. It wasn't. 
I mean, you, you got arrested. I, I, it, getting arrested is, is a big deal, right? And it's a bad look for an organization that ha- is used to a lot of these vehicle, you know, transgressions, arrests. You know, Steve Kime kind of laying the template for it, right, with his extreme DUI. Uh, Cardinals have had a couple executives that have been arrested, right? <laughs> so it's not a good look. It's not what you want. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to affect his play one way or the other. Uh, like you mentioned, as long as it doesn't become a habit, right? And I listen, if you want to be on your moral high horse and say he shouldn't start game one, the, the first series when Jordan Hicks is in there and he's getting beaten coverage, we're all going to be clamoring for, for Xavier Collins. So I, I'm still a firm believer, like play the best football players. This, this doesn't change the fact that he's one of their best football players and should start immediately. Um, based on it, you know his collegiate tape and the projections, and I, you know trusting the coaches, uh, Isaiah Simmons situation aside. So again, that that to me, again, it, that that's here nor there. It's the culture thing that we just got done talking about with Hard Knocks. Like, do they have a culture of this? Yes. Um, these aren't one-off occurrences. Like these, we get one of these every off-season. It's unfortunate. I wish it, I wish it wasn't the case. Um, I was just you know disappointed because you know you watch his press conference after, and I get it, it's a press conference, but you watch him speak after he's been drafted, everything that we've heard about this individual, super high character, somebody who, you know, run through a wall, uh, all about football. And, you know, two weeks after his, you know, mega signing bonus, he, you know, buys an expensive car. I'm not sure if he had it, you know, or otherwise and, and gets arrested in it. Like that's, that's not, a, those aren't great optics. Right. So, you know, at the end of the day, chalk it up as hopefully just maybe it gets dismissed as, you know, a misdemeanor, not a felony, and he's able to put it behind him. I think that's what's going to happen. I still think he's going to be a very productive player. I've seen a lot of people that still are high on him to the sense that, you know, he's going to be in the mix for defensive rookie of the year. Um, so, it, you know, I, I was not going to sit here, though, and just pretend like it was no big deal. Like, there were how many players drafted in April's draft? Like two hundred fifty plus. He was he's the only one since the the draft that's been arrested. Like that has to mean something, right? And so I get it. It was a speed trap. Um, we've all been part of speed traps before, but usually they result in speeding tickets, not arrests. Um, so we'll leave it at that. Disappointing. Still high on him. This this is hopefully the last time we have to talk about it. But we did feel like it was important for us to address. Right. And then Arizona law, essentially, if you're going more than 20 miles an hour over the speed limit, that technically qualifies as criminal speeding. So there is obviously, of course, a big difference between that or other. The comparison that I made, John, to kind of put it into a bit of perspective was looking at Christian Kirk in his first offseason, maybe even a similar time. He's from Arizona, has some of his buddies. There's that whole incident with the car and some rocks people saw throwing at rocks at a vehicle. Uh, He ends up it ends up becoming Honestly, it's a much bigger deal for the Kirk situation than it was because there are all these questions. What happened? What was going on? The story was just not as known. Uh, And we've not heard or seen a single thing or a blip from Christian Kirk ever since. That's one of the spots, I think, at least where, like you said, John, the way the Cardinals organization, I think, has been primed in some cases and maybe some of it's the expectations when Steve Kime goes out there, praises the leadership of the other stuff. Like you said, the optics aren't as great. And so it's hard to be able to try to build some of that type of culture when 
when you're having to kind of still work your way back in. That's just one of the things of where it is with uh, this current regime and the general manager. But when you talk about with how Kirk is, it's easy to be able to say, all right, it's something that may be forgotten by the time that we get to October, June, especially because I do see in this goes back even to the Tyron Matthew era of a lot of players, at least as long as they show commitment and show what I call, I guess, the human element, which is like, I've, you know, a good example is, have I gotten a speeding ticket before? Yes. Have I had like multiple types of issues or other things that are there? Well, maybe not to the same degree of going 20 miles and over, but there are mistakes that people make. And there's going to be at least errors. It's like, all right, he's going to, you know, pay his fine, get his car back. That's part of just the way that the current systems are set up in one way or the other. Um, so when they say, you know, I'm like, hey, he's speeding for that. And all right. You know, he without sin or he who's never gotten a speeding ticket, they say cast the first stone. Ultimately, I think there's a level of when you can forgive a guy, you also still want to at least prove, hey, you're not going to be going and doing this again. I remember at least a story um, that I had from one. I was a teacher many years ago, talked about how there was a business partner he had just joined with. And on the trip from California to Arizona, that business partner got six speeding tickets in his sports car just in the one like eight hour trip. That's one of those areas, at least, where you're like, this isn't a one-time thing. This is a multiple events. Those are kind of the areas that we see with some of the, um, especially, I think, when you look at some of the previous Cardinals draft busts that had other issues going on. Uh, that was more of these patterns of repeated behavior and other issues that you've popped up and seen. That's not something I think that we've seen with Zavin. It's something that you can say, monitor, sure, you know, keep it in the back of your head. But ultimately, I think as the season gets closer, um, we're not even going to be concerned with it so much as excited for him and his role on this team. Uh, let's shift to talk about with just kind of the sun's impact that it's had on the Valley um, for an actual physical impact of this. John, this is get a load of this. There's a um, building that I've driven by on the east side, probably driven by it like thousands of times at Country Club and uh, Elliott Road that has a big Cardinals logo on the side of the building. Well, went back over there just within the last week, and now there's a giant Suns logo that's been maybe covered. I don't know if it's been painted over, but there's a big Suns logo now right over that same spot. Well deserved. And it shows, like you said, John, it's well-deserved for that. I mean, imagine putting a Suns logo on the building just two or three years ago. People are just going to be like, wow, look at, you better update this to, you know, to a winning team or just one of those kind of, oh, the Suns type of moves. Instead, John, I think that we're seeing at least with the Valley responding to winning in a huge way, similar to, if I remember correctly, how we saw the Cardinals in 2008 when they responded and made their crazy championship run. I think the question I'd pose to you is what are some of the different areas of why we've seen that the Suns are successful and what are some of the places where the Cardinals definitely can pull from, especially when it comes to places like the Valley, because as I, we've seen, John, the the love for this team when they're winning has been great. When the teams lose, like if the Suns come back from the finals, I think it was 1993, there was a 300,000 person parade waiting for them. Whereas I remember when the Cardinals came back from their loss to the Panthers in the NFC Championship game, it was like this dead, barren airport. Like people were just embarrassed by the loss. It was hard to show up, despite that being maybe the second best season in franchise memory. What are some of these ways, at least, that this fan base, specifically one like you've said, the Cardinals, it's been more of a poverty franchise, has not gotten, you know, even the same amount of followers or recognition as teams like the Suns or other uh, teams of their ilk. How is it that they can help turn it around and be able to become a core part of this Valley sports scene? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Again, I put out a tweet uh, the other night. It's an easy connection. A bunch of people have made it, but 
like the 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 fact that Chris Paul and his arrival is very much Kurt Warner esque, where you've got this star studded player that has had success at the highest level. And I know Kurt Warner won a Super Bowl before he got to Arizona. Chris Paul hasn't won a championship, but Chris Paul, even before this run, quintessential Hall of Famer, somebody that super high basketball IQ, and there were some question marks as to why he chose the Suns as opposed to some other teams to be dealt to. Um, but he was very much thought of, not as damaged goods, but his peak years behind him, right? He's 36 years old. Kurt Warner, very much the same realm where he comes to Arizona, kind of cast aside by the, the Giants and then the aforementioned St. Louis Rams, and he gets an opportunity in Arizona, and his just his de- demand demanding nature for having success, winning, breeding that culture of success, knowing what it looks like to be a champion. That's what Chris Paul has brought to the Phoenix Suns um, and to, to a greater extent, the Valley. Um, and so I think that's a big part of it. And, you know, some folks have compared like uh, Devin Booker's rise to superstar and very much like Larry Fitzgerald during that 2008 postseason run. Uh, and I, I think there are a lot of parallels there. I think where the Suns have a definitive advantage is I, I think they have a coach that has done it at a high level before and has the respect of his players. But then also they cleaned house before this year and they have a new infrastructure of basketball personnel and people selecting the players. And even some of the people that were part of the basketball administration over the course of the last several years, they hit on some players. So you talk about DeAndre Ayton, Finally coming into his own, he was the first overall pick in 2018. Whether or not you would argue, you know, should Trey Young have gone first overall, DeAndre Ayton, they wouldn't be here without him. So that's paying huge dividends. Cameron Payne, they acquired him. He was a former first-round pick from Oklahoma City. That His arrival has been paying dividends. Michael, Michael Bridges from Villanova was a first-round pick that same year with DeAndre Ayton. Those are the kind of acquisitions unfortunately, if you're the Arizona Cardinals, that you haven't been able to make, specifically in the draft. The Suns have drafted exceptionally well lately and have given Devin Booker and Chris Paul the support they need to make this lengthy postseason run. Outside of a couple splash trades for Steve Kime, Chandler Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, and if we put aside Buda Baker, because Buda Baker is a, a perennial all-pro 2017 draft pick, Let's just focus on the first-round picks, unfortunately, for a lot of people. During this exercise, Steve Kimes, since he's been the GM, uh, he's got a hit rate of about, I don't know, one out of seven. Uh, Jonathan Cooper was a bust in 2013. Deion Buchanan was a bust in the sense that didn't get a second contract in 2014. He got his one hit in 2015 with DJ Humphreys. 2016, Robert Kandichi bust. 2017, Hassan Reddick. Bust, didn't get a second contract. I know he played well last year. 2018, Josh Rosen, maybe the biggest bust of the last 20 years. 2019, Kyler Murray is a hit. So, yes, he's got two hits. My mistake. And then 2020, Isaiah Simmons is it's still incomplete. And 2021, Xavier Collins was just arrested. So I, I think the biggest parallel is the Suns have done a much better job in personnel in developing young personnel and hitting on their first-round picks. The Cardinals have not. And that means the Cardinals have had to overcompensate and supplement in free agency 
and have had to go out and sign J.J. Watt because Zach Allen can't stay healthy, and they've had to overspend on Jordan Phillips, and they've had to overspend on Jordan Hicks in the past because Dalen Buchanan didn't work out, and they've had to overspend on Hassan. Or, uh, they brought in Hassan Reddick. He didn't have to work out, so that he didn't work out. So they had to bring in, um, you know, numerous other inside linebackers within free agency. And you know, Byron Murphy didn't look the part his first year. Some would argue. So they go out. You know, they have to give a big contract to Robert Alford and overpay Patrick Peterson in, into his years where he's not performing up to, you know, his usual standards. And you know, they've spent four consecutive second round picks on receivers, Blake. And they, then they bring in A.J. Green. It's because if Christian Kirk would have been that guy from day one in 2018, they wouldn't be sinking so many resources into that position. So I think that this is a savvy community, and it respects teams that put in the time and do it the right way, and they will reward you for winning. But it's not a community, fair or not, that's going to come and watch a team be under 500, go 3-14, and 3-13, and 13, you know, 5-11. and 11. They will reward you with success if you reward them with success, if that makes sense. They were turning out in waves during that 2008, 2009, 2015 Super Bowl runs. They were at every game, packing the house, and so it's not necessarily fair to ask them to support a team that historically has never won a championship, the most losses in in NFL franchise history, Whereas I also would argue, Blake, that the Suns feel authentic because they were they were born and bred here. This is the Cardinals' third or fourth city: sure. Chicago, St. Louis, mm-hmm. Arizona. So I, I think that plays a small factor into it. And I also think that peak Phoenix Suns, you could argue, with Steve Nash and company, even though that those teams never went to the finals. Those teams, I think, have more of an impact on sports and the landscape of sports than even the Cardinals Super Bowl team with Kurt Warner because people looked at that as a flash in the pan. People looked at the Arians mm-hmm. years with Palmer as a flash in the pan. The Suns had a long longevity of success with Amari Stoudemire and, and Steve Nash. The Cardinals have never had sustained success outside of three years with Carson Palmer and Bruce Arians. So I, I think it's a mixture of all of that. And I, you know, I, I'm not the Suns NBA aficionado, far from it. <laughs> but, you know, I look at the players that they brought in and the decisions that they've made, and it would correlate to if the Cardinals had pivoted off Steve Kime when they brought in Kyler Murray and they had a breath of fresh air in terms of the ownership, not the ownership, the football administration, and they were hitting on draft picks left and right outside of Kyler Murray. I think that would, would have been the correlation. Yeah, and John, it's interesting since I followed the Suns for a while being a local product here at least, just the fact that if you look at Kimes' history and look at Ryan McDonough, the former Suns general manager, they were hired 119 days apart in that 2013 season. Steve Kimes is still around with the Arizona Cardinals. McDonough has been moved on. Uh, And this is where it's interesting is if you look at where everything just kind of seemed to go wrong for the previous Suns execs, they're coming off of the Steve Nash era. You get a top five pick with Alex Lang. And he ends up becoming essentially not what they'd wanted to. 
Um, TJ Warren became a decent player, kind of at least a role player for the most part. None of them really did as much. They hit it out of the park with a 13th pick with Devin Booker being essentially maybe one of the biggest steals we've seen in what's been a very strong overall 2015 class. But then you look at the other aspects and it's fascinating because it looks so similar to what the Cardinals have done. 2016, they get Dragon Bender and then trade up for Marquise Chris. Both of those guys, boom, out of the league. They get a top four pick the next year and they don't end up getting Jason Tatum, at least or one of the top players. They do end up taking, uh, I believe it was Josh Jackson in the 2017 draft. And that one was one that hurt because you're talking about, I think it was a top four pick for the team. A point guard goes with the next pick for the most part. And you see another player such as Donovan Mitchell goes with pick 13, right where Devin Booker was. And then even just working down the line, like we said, within the last year has been when we've seen the number one pick after the Suns finally were able to, you know, win the lottery with the worst record in the league. They saw returns from DeAndre Ayton, but a lot of people are looking at him and wondering to start the 2020 season. Like, hey, is this guy someone who's just not going to develop and would always view him as the non-Luka Doncic pick, very similar to, you know, something like taking a Josh Rosen over a Lamar Jackson. This is a whole aspect where, like you said, John, the thing that the Suns did first and foremost, and I talked about this in the article I did, was they recognized that the talent that they were bringing in could be better, and they made a move to kind of some people were scared about an aggressive move. They did let go of Ryan McDonough about a week or two before the season started. Now, that being said, when they promoted James Jones into the role, he immediately seemed to catch fire and it was like he could do almost no wrong with some of the picks and trades that he made. Boosted the Suns to the point where they were almost a playoff team in 2019-2020, the bubble obviously being kind of where the team came together. And this year, like you said, they made the big trade for Chris Paul and I think we've seen at least enough mirror where I would ask you this, John. Do the Cardinals need to look at the Suns and their general manager and look at other guys on the staff? Like the person who comes to mind and former player going into the scouting mindset, bringing something new to the table was probably the closest comparison as Adrian Wilson, but he's been in more of the Steve Kime mold. Is this something that the Cardinals should look at for the most part? Because you and I at least are kind of have not seen the Cardinals be bad enough to the point like how they were with the McDonough era where you're like, this is just this is the new Cleveland Browns. This is the laughing stock of the league. We just haven't seen them be able to get over the hump from average in the two years that we've seen, at least with Kime and Cliff coming off of that terrible year. Is that where the Suns on uh, the impact that they made should start as the template for the Cardinals or should we at least take a look at the moves that they've made since with Steve Kime and be able to kind of trust him to put together a bit of a stronger team for the long haul for this franchise. Yeah. I, I think Blake, listen, the right move in retrospect with this franchise would have been to pivot off of Steve Kime in 2018. Um, at the end of the 2018 season, I should say. And Unfortunately for Michael Bidwell, and I know Steve's done some good things uh, since the end of that season, but that, for the most part, the reason they were in that position that year was because of the moves he had made, both on and off the field. Um, so I, I think that had you been able to bring in a new, fresh perspective, whether internally or not, um, it would have given them a, a bunch of different avenues to be able to, to write a new chapter in this franchise's history. And unfortunately without pivoting off of him during that, during that time, you've saddled another head coach to his wagon. And you've also potentially set yourself back peak years of, of Kyler Murray on his rookie contract. 
So I just think that, listen, this is a team. Steve Kime was was promoted from within in 2013. They interviewed a couple other candidates, but he was long felt like the best individual for the job. And he did a nice job in a lot of different aspects, most notably hiring Bruce Arians when he was brought on board. But Rod Graves was also an internal candidate that was hired from within. Bob Ferguson, who is the team's GM for, uh, I believe, 1996 to 2002, VP of Player Personnel, I believe he was also an internal candidate. I, I think that, unfortunately, there's a misconception within the organization that we can't trust outsiders. And then I also think that there's a little bit of um, insecurity in that, well, maybe nobody wants this job. Um, and I certainly can understand that in 2018, 2019, when you're dealing with what appeared to be an expansion level roster and the fact that you had the number one overall pick and you had confusion at quarterback. Um, but sometimes you just have to rip the Band-Aid off. Um, and the Cardinals, for whatever reason, didn't have the strength to do it. Michael Bidwell gave Steve Keim more time to, to right the wrongs because, fair or not, he had overseen, like we mentioned, the most, and this is how uh, sad the Cardinals' history is, the most winningest period in franchise history from 2013 to 2017. They had one losing season, but for the most part, they stacked wins. But we know a large part of that was because of their head coach, Bruce Arians. So it's unfortunate because I think we're, we're coming to a head at this point and outside of, goodness, a, you know, a, a above 500 season that doesn't result in the postseason, I do think that if the Cardinals finish fourth, like Vegas is predicting they, they will uh, in this division, and Kyler Murray is frustrated with the franchise, I think we will see wholesale changes from top to bottom, and Michael Bidwell will be forced because of the, the situation he's put himself into to have to make significant changes. Now, I'm not saying that in the sense that I think that they're going to go out and get an external candidate for their next GM, but I do think that what the Suns had the, had the courage to do, the Cardinals haven't had that courage yet. Um, and they may have to have the issue forced for them. Um, it would be very similar to if, if Devin Booker basically said, like, none of this is good enough. I'm a winning player. Get me winning players. Get somebody who knows what they're doing, you know, from a head coaching standpoint. And I do think Kyler Murray has some of that in him. I do think his camp will make it clear to Michael Bidwell if the Cardinals falter this year that, you know, the personnel, it's not up to snuff, especially in the NFC West. And certainly my coach is in over his head. Um, so we'll see. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I think, John, when you're talking about with each of those aspects, it's like in hindsight you can point at. And I, I do want to end on a positive note for the Cardinals in comparison to the Suns. We'll get that in a bit. Um and that is one of the questions I think ultimately is you want to make sure that you're getting it right at the GM and coach position. And like you said, Robert Sarver, he was probably the, the most hated owner in the Phoenix sports area for a while, more than um, the Cardinals with the Bill Bidwell days, more than we've seen at least even with the Diamondbacks. Um, even the, uh, what is it, the Arizona Coyotes, the franchise that has basically bounced around with ownership. Sarver was considered at the bottom of the list. Like it was just brutal for what was going on. Everyone felt like he was ruining and mismanaging the team. But like I said, he ripped the bandaid off. One of those places included firing a coach after one year, uh, and hiring and bringing in another guy 
and improve the team. That was one of those moves that got a huge amount of flack, not just for the Suns, but also for the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, we've at least seen that that's been the case. And while Cliff isn't necessarily that veteran coach that we're looking at, um, there are some things that the Cardinals have done that are similar to what the Suns have done to help turn the team around. One thing that they had especially was they hit on the number one pick. And part of hitting on that number one pick, at least, and finding that type of overall playmaker is that it's allowed a lot of the other players to, who are on the team to be able to shine. Now, football, obviously, quarterback, very different. You don't have two-way players like you do have basketball. Um, but I think inside of being able to say, hey, we got the wrong guy, we're going to move on, being able to at least bring in multiple veteran leaders and playmakers with some clutch trades. We've seen the Phoenix Suns do this with Chris Paul and being able to bring in guys into the Valley. Um, we've also seen this with um, Phoenix being able to trade, uh, I should say the Arizona, trading for DeAndre Hopkins. We've also seen them signing a guy in the offseason. As far as veteran leadership goes, you could probably take a look at Chris Paul and his impact on the NBA and put it almost as a one-for-one one next to J.J. Watt. This is a franchise-type player. The winning usually follows where they go. You bring them in, at least for that one, as far as being able to change your culture. That's one of the things I think that the Suns have done that's in common. Now, I think also both teams, I don't think that any of them have any faults. You've compared Kyler Murray to... Um, uh, you compared him to Larry Fitzgerald. I think you should say you compared Larry Fitzgerald to Devin Booker. I usually have it as more of the Kyler Murray, Devin Booker. You got both guys are star players who are this number one, who are both young and have this franchise player capability. But there's always been questions of how good are they? Can they carry a team? Do they have enough around them? This has been kind of the year where you've finally been able to see Devin Booker jump in to be that type of star player. And that's one of the questions I think that we could see that potentially with Kyler Murray if he has enough talent with Hopkins, Green. We got to finally see a hint of that last year. Uh, now, clearly the biggest difference that I see, at least in this next spot, is the Cardinals just missed the playoffs the year before this year. Suns just missed the playoffs this next year. They've made it to the NBA Finals. The Suns did that going on an 8-0 run in the midst of, you know, this crazy pandemic time that was there. Instead, the Cardinals have finished their season, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I believe it was a, let's see, they finished at 8-8, eight and eight, unless I'm mistaken, so that would be on a two and five type tear to finish their year. Not nearly as optimistic as far as being this team that finishes the season on a hot streak, suddenly seems to gel. It seemed like it went out with a whimper instead of a bang. Um, and I think, John, that the question is at least, how much of that then as far as the faith you have that the Cardinals have made some of these right moves that we will be talking about, you know, a team that is going to make the playoffs and potentially make some noise in 2021 because there's a lot of signs and indications like if A.J. Green is able to be a hit, the pass rush with J.J. Watt is a hit. You talk about some of those corners being able to hold up. Then you look at the running situation. If you're able to see the Cardinals kind of hit like they did similar to the start of 2020, maybe this is one of those places where you're seeing these two franchises mirror each other. I think the issue that you and I have had is I think there's a lot more questions about the GM and about the head coach being the ones to help facilitate that uh, than I think that there is for a team like the Phoenix Suns that seemed like they were one piece away and made that aggressive move to go out and get the likes of Chris Paul before the season. Yeah, I I, I don't know if there's a correlation this year. I don't think they can replicate it because I think the division – is is too stacked um and you've looked at i mean fair or not the suns have been assisted by some injuries to key players throughout the postseason 
Anthony Davis didn't play for the most part in their series. Kawhi Leonard wasn't healthy for this entire series. And I'm not saying the Suns wouldn't have won those 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 games, those series. But I mean, the equivalent of that, at least in the regular season, is if I mean, is Russell Wilson getting hurt? Is Aaron Donald getting hurt? You know, is um, is San Francisco going to go through a slew of injuries and the Cardinals still couldn't beat them last year, even? with Kyle Shanahan starting C.J. Beathard in Week 16 with the postseason on the line. And again, I mean, it's it's still the same coach. I mean, the, the, the Suns made wholesale changes, and they had a lot of momentum from last year before Chris Paul came came about. I know that momentum typically doesn't carry from one season to, to the next, but they had a, a very strong end to, to the bubble, almost making it to the playoffs last year. You could kind of see this coming, whereas Arizona faltered at the finish line last year. And so they went out and they made a bunch of big moves to kind of offset that. I just think that they're dealing with a historically great division with Hall of Famers all over the place, a coach they've never beaten before in Sean McVay. The deck is stacked against them, and it's unfortunate because I really do think they have the the talent to make the playoffs. They've got a playoff caliber roster, in my opinion, and they've got a franchise quarterback that they've drafted, drafted and developed for the first time in the history of their franchise. I just think it's unfortunate because this this division is is so special and so stacked in terms of personnel, coaching, and otherwise that you know the Cardinals would really need a Bruce Arians s kind of coach to be able to make that kind of run. Um, and it's not to say I think Cliff Kingsbury is a bad coach. I've long compared him. I think he could be a Jason Garrett s kind of coach, and people may scoff at that. But Jason Garrett made the postseason a handful of times with Dallas, but he was given the opportunity to grow and develop just like players. There's You don't have that luxury in this division. The, the Cardinals need somebody that can come in if Cliff doesn't get it done this year and com- command respect on the sideline. Um, they need somebody who's done it at the highest level before they can go toe-to-toe with these coaching giants in the division. And they just don't have that this year. And so it's hard for me to envision any kind of lengthy postseason run outside of capturing lightning in the bottle or a slew of injuries to Russ and otherwise for that to, to be a real thing. John, yes, I think that this, the lack of Cliff having done it before, I think is where you gotten some time, but this, I agree with you, should be a playoff team given the talent that they have, given the work that they've put in. If they fall short of those expectations, that is going to be a rough awakening for the Cardinals fans. And on that topic, let's move to the final conversation of the day. I wanted to talk a bit about Christian Kirk. Um, with he says it's now or never entering the 2021 season. This is the attitude in the locker room. They have all the pieces to put it together, push for the playoffs. Uh, what is your at least capacity when you're saying it's now or never? This is championship or bust. I think that I would agree with all of that. The question I think I have for you, John, as we wrap up today is: Is Kurt going to be that true wide receiver two for the Cardinals this year? You obviously have Green. You've got uh, Isabella coming back as well. Kirk's moved to the slot, and then Rondell Moore has at least made a crazy catch that we saw in the Cardinals flight plan episode uh, as we kind of wrap up today with his comments his bold comments about like it's now or never I'm going to give it my all going to push as much and he's in his contract year do you think that Kirk and the Cardinals themselves are going to be able to deliver going into this season you know Blake they've used a second round pick on a wide receiver fourth consecutive off seasons including when they drafted Christian in 2018 I think in the grand scheme of things had Christian emerged especially last year they wouldn't have invested another second-round pick, that being on Rondell Moore. I do think he'll benefit from the move into the slot. You sent me some good metrics on just, unfortunately, how ineffective Larry Fitzgerald was in the slot last year and how Christian Kirk and a lot of his attributes should be able to shine in that position. 
Um, and we'll see, you know, he's got a lot of, con- uh, a lot of money riding on this. This is his fourth year. He wasn't a first round pick, so he didn't have the fifth year option. I've always been high on him because I've seen what could be. It's, it's very much a tease. He's, he's kind of a poor man's Will Fuller in the sense that, you know, when he's not hurt and he's not disappearing in games, he's a really effective player. He's really their true deep threat on the roster, somebody who can take the top off the defense, of course, before Rondell Moore arrived in April. So I've, I've always been predicting, if you've listened to this podcast with us for the last few years, I mean, he's always my breakout player. I'm always predicting, oh, 1,000 yards for Christian this year. He's going to have 1,000 yards, 10-plus touchdowns. And the way he started last year, I mean, remember the Dallas game, he had a really nice long catch and run. He, he started the first half of the year, coincidentally, so did the Cardinal offense, on fire. And I think it's not a coincidence that over the last six games, he had 250 yards, six to eight games, and the Cardinals offense struggled because of it. So I think that it's it's almost kind of appropriate to say as Christian goes, so does this team, because the Cardinals can't rely on Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins to play backyard football. And so they brought in other options. They're moving him inside, which is where he should have been playing to begin with. I do think he'll have a better season. Um, now, what does that look like? Can he get to 800 yards? Can he get to seven plus touchdowns, seven to ten touchdowns? Can he can he be that physical threat after the catch that we haven't really seen yet that we saw at Texas A&M? Be interesting because now he's got a legitimate option, you would think, with A.J. Green on the other side that will at least give you something. And Rondell Moore will push him because they are similar players in a lot of different ways. Then you've got Isabella hanging around, Keyshawn Johnson, who finished the season strong last year. It's a crowded room, and... I, hopefully competition brings out the best of that group and that we get a, a true legitimate second receiving option to go with Hopkins. Yeah, for sure. Hey, yeah, John, thanks. I know you have to get going pretty soon. I, I'll be curious to see what Kirk does. His metrics we talked about were pretty low against man coverage. He did much better against zone is what it seems like as far as being able to get open um, much more often. Moving him into the slot in that regard might be a huge help as far as for his ability and the deep threat. We'll see at least who ends up becoming wide receiver too because right now, John, I think that job is A.J. Green's to lose and Kirk is the guy at least who I think they're going to be seeing if that uh, deep action out of the slot with the protection from Rodney Hudson and this returning line becomes a much bigger thing to watch for this year. Hey, thanks again so much for joining us, everyone. This has been the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, We're getting closer to training camp. We'll have obviously more content for you up until then. Make sure that you're following us at ROTB pod. Uh, You can be able to follow us as well uh, on revengeofthebirds.com. That'll wrap it up for us, at least for the most part on the ROTB pod. See you guys uh, later. We're getting closer and closer to the start of training camp and 2021 football.